You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. Hopefully everybody has had a great week since the last time you tuned in. I tell you what, man, I got to go and enjoy some tree stand time on a couple of the properties that I hunt, and I didn't see any what I would consider shooters yet, but I had a absolutely great time just sitting in Mother Nature and absorbing as much of the good vibes as uh, humanly possible that she was putting out. Uh, the sign wasn't popping off yet like I thought it was, but uh, I'm going to double check all that this upcoming weekend. And I know a lot of us are thinking about whitetail and bow hunting and getting ready for maybe muzzleloader hunting uh, or the upcoming shotgun season in December. But today... We're going to take it to a different level, and we're going to talk a little bit about pheasant hunting, specifically pheasant hunting. And we're going to be talking with Joel Johnson, and he's going to just give us a blanket of information about pheasant hunting. We're going to talk a little bit about where to look for pheasants, uh, specific habitat that they live in. during the spring, during the winter, uh, some of the the biggest hurdles that a pheasant has to kind of jump through throughout the the year as far as maybe predators or a lack of habitat. We're going to talk about how you as a landowner, if you're a landowner and you want more pheasants on your property, how you can optimize your property to hold more pheasants. So what you're going to learn on today's podcast is just a little bit of everything about pheasants, where they live, how to hunt them, uh, the difference between hunting them on foot and hunting them maybe with a dog and just a great overall informative podcast about pheasant hunting. So that's what today's podcast is about. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Just a friendly reminder, if you want more information about this podcast or the Iowa Sportsman magazine, visit iowasportsman.com. They have articles there. You can subscribe to the magazine there and be part of the community. Go to the Iowa Sportsman Facebook page, and there's a lot of conversation and communication done on that page as well. So go sign up, go join, go like, go click, do all those things. And uh, I guess share, share and spread the word about this podcast and the magazine. So without further ado, let's get into today's podcast with Joel Johnson about pheasant hunting. All right. I'd like to welcome Joel Johnson to the podcast. How you doing, man? Uh, very good, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Now, I had 
a message on Facebook and it was a guy who's been listening to this podcast for a couple weeks now. And the message was like, Hey, when are you going to cover pheasant hunting? And just that comment alone kind of brought me back to one of my very first ever hunting experiences. Uh, my very first was trapping. Uh, my grandma would take me out and she would check my uncle's traps while he was at college. And if there was an animal still alive, I was that, I was the little kid. I was like six years old. And if they were still alive, I was the, the finisher. I had the baseball bat, you know what I mean? And it was just, uh, yep, you were the trigger man. That's right. Mm-hmm. Pop. Okay. Pick him up and go. But the next one was with my uncle and I can remember it as if it was yesterday. He took me on my very first ever pheasant hunt with a, it was like a Weimaraner lab mix. So it was a gray lab basically. And the dog's name was Cujo. And he was a, he was a really, really good dog. Like to the point where he didn't even let the birds jump out of the air into the air. He would just get them and bring them back to you. Uh, from the ground that's easier that way yeah exactly exactly so this dog pops into this little um this little buffer strip and out pops this pheasant and i shoot it and i was like oh that's awesome and and i don't do as much pheasant hunting anymore but it's something that i you know if i wasn't such a psychopath about deer hunting i would definitely love to do more more pheasant hunting and and that kind of goes without saying that's what today's podcast is about we're going to talk a little bit about uh habitat and what guys can do to um what guys can do to optimize that habitat we're going to get into maybe a little bit of hunting strategy as well but before we do joel uh why don't you talk to us a little bit about where you're from in iowa and what do you do for a living sure thing dan so i'm <clears throat> currently out of, uh, I live about four miles north of Coon Rapids, Iowa. Uh, I've lived here the better part of 20 years now and, and actually got my uh, first job out of college um, uh, here in town working for the Gars Company. And so uh, I was in kind of the, the agribusiness um, area for the first few years out of college. Um, decided that just that wasn't quite for me. Uh, cause it actually took a lot of time away from what I really like to do, which is, which is hunting and fishing. And so, uh, working those, those 60, 70, 80, hundred hour weeks in the spring and, and in the fall, uh, you know, it really cut into my time. And so I couldn't have that. So, uh, transitioned into information technology in 2000. <clears throat> and, uh, since then I've, have, uh, had a number of different roles, uh, uh, but spent most of the rest of my career, um, and even today in, in management, project management and, and uh, information technology management. And, and that's where I'm at today. Gotcha. So that part of the state, Coon Rapids, is it a like because when I think of pheasants, I think north central Iowa, northwest Iowa, you know, you get into the um, more of the flatter part of the state. Uh, what's the, mm-hmm. the pheasant habitat around Coon Rapids? So it's, it's kind of unique because um, the glaciers, the last glaciers that came through Iowa, they really stopped right at uh, the northern edge of town. And so if you drive north out of Coon Rapids, heading towards Carroll, um, you know, it's, it's, it's relatively flat, very reminiscent of, of north central Iowa, you know, Story County, Hamilton County, et cetera. Uh, however, if you drive south of Coon Rapids and get down into Guthrie and Audubon counties, uh, because the glaciers didn't have have the impact and leave the footprint there, it's much more rolling, 
a uh, lot more uh, timber blocks, a lot more creek uh, uh, creek beds and draws and things of that nature. And so, um, depending on you know where you're going, uh, where you're going bird hunting on any given day, if you're headed north, you know you can kind of look forward to um, you know kind of an easy walk. Uh, if you go south, you know you're going to be uh, going up and up and down and around, and and you're going to be working for them uh, quite a bit harder. From a habitat perspective. Uh, because the the ground is much more rolling south of town, you're going to have, like I said, more more draws, uh, creek bottoms, uh, and even some wood lots that that will hold birds. Um, you get out north of town, uh, you get over south of Carroll and north of Carroll, um, you know, Breda, uh, Maple River, some of those areas, and that's where you're really into um, you know lots of filter strips. Uh, you know, 60, 90 feet on either side, the creeks, um, uh, you know, weedy road ditches and, and that kind of thing. You, you don't have quite as, as much diversity uh, on the northern side as you do uh, south of town. Yeah, and that's kind of reminiscent of the some of the terrain that I, when I w- pheasant hunted with my uncle or even in college, we did a lot of road hunting where, you know, we would park the truck and then walk the ditches, try to kick them out and, and hunt them that way. But uh, and exactly like what you said, those buffer strips on either side of a, a drainage or a creek or something like that. And that flat up in the Parkersburg Applington area, um, a lot, you know, where it feels like it was, it's 25 mile an hour winds every day of the winter, but, <laughs> but that's, that's the habitat that I, I remember. Um, now I think what we'll do is, the first thing I kind of want to talk about is this habitat, right? And you've already talked a little bit about it in your general area, but if a guy, let's say, maybe is a first-timer, and he wants to go out, he wants to get a pheasant license, and he wants to go, and he doesn't have a dog or anything, but he's going to go walking looking for pheasants, what are some habitat features that he needs to be looking for? Uh, I would say, you know, depending on where you're from, you know, if it's a guy coming out of Polk County, you know, you might uh, you might have a different approach than than somebody who who lives in a more rural area like I do. But you know, in general, like like you had mentioned before, if you're just a guy with with uh, without a dog, um, I tell you what, my family, the majority of the hunting we did, um, you know, throughout my childhood and teenage years was was just what you described. We would go road hunting. Um, you spot one in the ditch. You know, you 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 uh, drive over the hill, drop a guy off the block, turn around, come back, and then drop a guy off to walk the other end. And, you know, hopefully you meet in the middle and, and, uh, the bird, uh, cooperates. Um, if a guy wants to get out and do some walking, <clears throat> one thing that we used to have when we were kids, you know, railroad tracks, railroad right of ways used to be, you know, just fantastic, but, you know, they've changed the laws since, and, and, you know, the guy can't do that anymore. It's, it's illegal and the railroad, uh, uh, really frowns on that kind of thing. So, um, there's, Iowa is, is near the bottom, you know, uh, bottom five for sure in public hunting access. And so, you know, uh, a lot of those areas in the state, some are, are, are so big and so overwhelming, um, that, that a single guy on his own, you know, you get lost out in there. Uh, these areas get a ton of pressure too from from your Polk County, from your Johnson County, uh, Lynn County, where you know where the big population centers are. So, if it were me, and I was, you know, a guy wanted to, wanted to get into pheasant hunting, 
you know, honestly, I would uh, look at boards. I would I would hit up friends and family first, and and see if I could find a connection where I could you know try it out with with a group that's done it for a number of years. Um, short of that, um, going to some of the public hunting areas, and um, especially after some some rough weather. If you get into those um, after a blizzard or, or you know, when, when most people wouldn't go out and you attack them kind of unconventionally, you know, come at them from, uh, uh, you know, the most difficult approach rather than, you know, parking in the same parking lot where, where everybody and their brother has been on opening day and in the day since. I think a guy uh, on his own. Could uh, could probably get a bird or, or two up or nothing else. Uh, maybe shoot a rabbit. Uh, focusing on those uh, heaviest uh, areas of cover, zigzagging through them, walking real slow, um, and you know maybe even going back and backtracking through them, uh, depending on the, uh, the time of year and, and how pressured the birds might be. Okay. So we we talked about that that ditch cover. We talked about you know the 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 drainage strips or the, the buffer strips on each side of a waterway. Are there any other specific habitats uh, that we need to keep an eye out for or maybe identify on a map or when you're driving down the road, say, hey, that right there looks like it may hold pheasants? Yep, for sure, for sure. And so in the, I would say in the last, oh shoot, probably the last 20 years or so, um, well, probably more than that actually, but um, since I, you know, have raised a dog and my friends have started getting dogs and we've, we've done more and more hunting over the years, uh, you know, switchgrass is really king, um, um, uh, in, in lieu of everything else, everything else being equal, you can find, uh, more birds, um, in any given area, in my opinion, um, in thick, thick, uh, stands of switchgrass. Um, it is that, uh, you know, that deep, tough, nasty, um, you know, six foot high tangle foot. That's the kind of stuff that is going to, that provides birds, uh, gives them fantastic cover uh, to weather uh, the Iowa winters, you know, the deep snow, the hard ice, they can get up underneath that grass when it bends over. And it gives them also gives them really good overhead protection from, from raptors and and things of that nature um, that might try and pick them off uh, uh, in the winter. Um, in spring too, you know, having that cover, uh, is just, it's just, uh, invaluable. That, that's the key piece. So, you know, day in, day out, if I had to, uh, if I had my choice of places to hunt and I wanted to get birds, um, I would focus on switchgrass first, just because of, you know, all of the needs that it satisfies for these birds. Um, you know, second to that, you know, anywhere where you can find, um, annual weeds, you know, uh, thick patches of, of, uh, ragweed or, or horseweed that some guys call them, you know, those can, those can really hold a lot of birds in the fall too. They grow really close. They grow really tight. Um, those can be good too. So outside of, of, uh, you know, planted switchgrass and intentional switchgrass plantings, you know, looking for those really thick, nasty annual weeds, maybe a low spot in the field that couldn't get combined, um, things of that nature, you know, those can be really good areas as well. And that's a great point because Iowa has had a lot of rain, uh, in late September and October so far. 
And that's something that I think pheasant hunters may have to deal with is a lot of standing crops at when this season opens, you know, typically mid, mid October towards the late end is the big harvest push for, you know, get the soybeans out and the corn out. Well, now the ground is wet. It hasn't, it's not frozen yet. And we have a ton of ag still in the fields. Is there a different approach a guy needs to take when maybe uh, hunting a property that has standing ag in it? Yeah, there really is. And to be honest with you, a lot of guys just won't go out. Um, uh, you know, you can be successful and, and a lot of it depends on the, on the weather, you know, come opening day too, even with crop in the field, a guy can still go get some birds if he works for them. Um, you know, since it's been such a cold first half of October, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a warm up uh, the second half of the month and have one of those, you know, 50, 60 degree kind of t-shirt and, and, and blue jeans type opening days. Um, you couple that with how, you know, we know there's going to be quite a bit of corn and beans in the ground and a guy should probably number one, <clears throat> when it's nice out, you can, uh, and it's early and there's cropping, you can shoot about as many birds out of waterways with, with just brome grass and, and, uh, maybe natives, uh, uh, planted as you can anywhere else. Um, the buffer strips around, uh, around creeks can also be good. Get some of the, uh, you know, uh, young of the year pheasants that, that haven't ever seen hunters before. They will hang out in those buffer strips and, and will give some guys some opportunities. But dog work is, is absolutely key. Um, a lot of times when it's nice out, they would, you know, they'd always rather run. But in lighter cover, when it's warm out, you know, that, 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 just, gets, uh, that just gets magnified. And so um, I know there's some, some guys around here that, that do really well around the Har- uh, Halber area and, and Roselle areas up there where there's a lot of, of uh, riparian strips along the creeks whether it's standing beans or standing corn on either side, they, they hunt in the same way as they do, you know, whether the crops in or out and, and they still do pretty well. But, um, in general, uh, kind of going back to that guy that doesn't have a lot of ground to hunt, or maybe he's going out for the first time, you know, uh, might be best if, if he's a deer hunter, just to focus on the deer hunt until the crop gets <laughs> out of the ground. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, you know, of everything that we've just kind of talked about so far, we've talked a lot about habitat, and then we even talked a little bit about the guy who um, maybe is a first-timer, doesn't have a dog. How how big of a part does a dog play in, I guess, being successful uh, and not being successful? I, I would say it's it's one or the other, right? Uh, when we were kids, I have two older brothers. Um, you know, we, I, I never owned a hunting dog until I, I raised my own and that's been in the last 10 years. Two older brothers. So, so you were the hunting dog, right? Exactly. (laughs) And so it was a, it was a a running joke with my brothers and my cousins and and everybody that's hunted with our, with our family over, over the years. But you know, it's kind of a coming of age story when, you know, when you're old enough to start going on the bird hunts, you start out as a dog and, and you stay the dog until, uh, until you're old enough to, to get through those hunts, you know, maybe carry an empty gun for the first season, you know, and really kind of prove yourself as, as somebody who, you know, not only can, can, uh, break the brush for us and, and carry the birds, but, you know, 
uh, you're really feeling that function as, as the, as the flusher and the retriever in many cases, but, but all jokes aside, you know, having a dog, uh, ha- well, put, let me put it this way. Having a well-trained dog it is, it's, it's one of the, the, the most special experiences a guy can have, uh, you know, any sportsman can have, uh, 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 and, and experience. Uh, there's lots of times where I've hunted with my dog. I have a, uh, seven and a half year old golden retriever and first dog that I ever trained. And, and I was fortunate that, that, uh, uh, he was, he was eager to, to please and, and even more eager to hunt. Um, and, and, uh, you know, just following that dog, um, learning to build a relationship together and, and then working together. Um, it's just been uh, an amazing experience. Uh, I would say if, if for that guy, again, um, that's just, just starting pheasant hunting on his own, maybe he doesn't get a dog his first year. Um, but, uh, that first time he hunts behind a good pointer or a good, or a good flushing dog, whether it be a lab or, or, uh, a golden retriever or whatnot, you know, he'll be hooked after that first time. Cause these dogs are, are just amazing. And they, you know, for a guy that's going to go out and do a lot of walking, you know, they increase your success by, you know, it's, but just by leaps and bounds, right. uh, you don't have to have one, um, you know, but if you can get one, if you can raise one, if you can keep one, uh, you know, th- there's no better experience than, than, uh, you know, putting them out there in front of your buddies and, and letting them go to work. Now, this is probably one of those Chevy versus Ford versus Dodge type questions, but is there a specific breed of dog? And this is a question for my own personal uh, knowledge, but is there a specific breed of dog that performs better specifically for pheasant hunting? In my opinion, no. Um, being uh, my, my buddies and I joke, we, we, we were dog poor for a lot of years. And then, uh, you know, got a few of us started getting dogs and everybody had something different. Uh, one of my best friends is, has been a yellow lab guy, uh, most because his father-in-law and, and other friends had always been yellow lab guys. Um, I was a golden retriever guy. Our first golden wasn't a hunting dog, uh, but our second was. And, uh, you know, I just liked the, the looks and I liked the, the, the way, uh, you know, he, he approaches the hunt. Uh, one of my other best friends had, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he was a pointer guy. He's had um, a couple different uh, Britney Spaniels, and, and they were they were just fantastic. And so, um, to be honest with you, one of my one of the favorite ways for us to hunt is to put a pointer and in a in a flushing dog together, um, because you kind of get the the benefits of both worlds. The the pointers are a little rangier. They can get out there, you know, you can cover, you can cover, uh, more ground faster, assuming that, that the guys can keep up with them. Um, but the flushers kind of come in for the kill, especially, uh, in the real heavy, uh, switchgrass and other cover that, that we like to hunt. But in my opinion, there, there is no best breed, uh, but there is, there is a difference between made dogs and, uh, you know, the, the weekend warrior dog, um, a bad dog can ruin more hunts and make it miserable. Whereas, uh, it, it, you know, you'd be better off without having, without having a dog in those scenarios. Um, but, uh, you know, you get one or two that's, real good dogs together. That's him right the there, best, huh? Uh, that's right. That's one of them. <laughs> uh, you get one or two, uh, or three dogs together that, that, uh, 
that are veteran dogs that know how to work a field and, and, uh, you know, it can just be outstanding. Yeah. And I mentioned that dog Cujo at the beginning, it was kind of cool to watch what he did. It was a, he was a, a, a veteran dog, well-trained and everything. And there was no command needed from the hunter. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. You know, however many duck hunting seasons and pheasant hunting seasons that he had uh, under his belt, this dog, he, he didn't even need commands and it was cool just to watch this dog go out and uh my uncle would walk out of the out of the house and go let's go hop in the truck and he was ready no no nothing else after that that's right that's right uh and those veteran dogs are just you know they're important not only because you know they're good for the hunter but as you as you bring young dogs um kind of into the into the party you know, they can be uh, really good mentors for, for those young dogs that are coming up as well. Um, you know, they, you know, people may not believe, but dogs do learn really well by example. Um, and uh, my buddy who's been raising yellow labs, um, he's, he's got one made dog and he's got uh, a one and a half year old pup. And, you know, she has, has uh, just, it's been amazing to watch her develop and uh, we're expecting big things out of her this year. But, uh, you know, those first, first couple seasons, uh, you know, they will follow that lead dog and assuming that lead dog has good instincts and good nose and, and has been trained well, they pick up a lot, uh, a lot of nuance that, uh, you know, we as, as hunters and as trainers, uh, uh, can't necessarily teach them. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So now weather, right. And I think this was, this is a perfect example of how important habitat is for these birds, because I can remember going pheasant hunting back in the day, even in, into college, uh, back in the, you know, early two thousands and late, and late nineties. And I, I can remember if we got into a, a good section of CRP or a waterway or whatever, and we'd kick a bird up. And then it would land and it'd kick some more birds up. And then they'd land and they'd kick some more birds, almost like this big wave of birds. And that's where where I hunt now. I remember seeing pheasants on the road all the time. And that didn't happen. Or that's that the population has took uh, or it did take a, a big decrease and from what i've heard it's on the rise again because our our winters and our springs haven't been near as bad as what they were what are some of the what are some of the uh, negative weather effects that really because because earlier you mentioned something about uh bad winters and springs so what are some of those weather events that really can play a, a role on a pheasant population yeah, so so in winter you're really talking about deep snow, right? Um, I was just reading through um, the the uh, the roadside counts for this year, and and um, statistics that they provided are are really telling. Um, you look at you know a peak of in the night early 1960s where <clears throat> you still had crop rotations, you still had um, headlands, you still just had you know diverse um and and um more acres available um for for the birds to survive in you know whether that be through through waterways or or drainage ditches etc there was just uh more cover per section available um you know 
all things being equal, you know, more is better, right? And so you get, uh, I think the the statistic in, in uh, over the last 10 years was, you know, we're on an uptick the last two years following, I think it was five, it was either three or five years of, of uh, with winters with greater than 30 inches of snow. And so deep snow is a big factor. Um, uh, it, it can bury, you know, if you figure you get 30 inches of snow, um, then you you uh, consider the drifting that that much snow can create. You know, food sources can get buried, uh, cover can get buried. And so when we talk about winter cover, it's not about just uh, planting grass, you know, on, on any given patch, right? You want to you want to take into account, you know, what are the you know, what are the regular winds from, you know, on this piece of ground, you know, where is the wind going to mostly impact the population, you know, putting in some, some hedgerows or some, some evergreens um, to, to block some of that wind and to catch a lot of that snow is really important. Switchgrass, you know, big monolithic stretches of switchgrass can do the same thing. Um, and if you, you know, if a guy is strategic about the way he does it, you know, if you're going to put in a food plot, uh, you know, whether it be sorghum or corn or beans or what have you, um, strategically placing those types of food areas downwind, uh, but separate from, uh, you know, these hedgerows and, and monolithic stretches of switchgrass, that allows the snow to pile up in those areas and not bury, you know, not bury your feed. Um, I would say deep snow is probably the, the worst um, thing that can happen to the birds. Second to that would be extended periods of ice. Um, you get thick ice on the ground, even with or without snow. And those birds, you know, they're not that big. You know, three or four pound bird, they struggle to uh, to scratch and claw through through thick ice uh, over extended period of time. Uh, and just like uh, you know, just like humans, being wet, being cold, and not being able to uh, uh, have good access to feed. You know that's that's going to be really hard on on not only pheasants but uh, you know quail and your other upland species. Right now, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but maybe you can help clarify. I heard that pheasants and other birds that have their nostrils on the top of their beaks um, that are you know more ground dwelling birds struggle the most with snow and ice because the the accumulation can clog their their airways and they they end up suffocating is that true you know i i can't give you a scientific answer on that yes or no gotcha. um but in my experience i would say yes um where we where i hunted as a boy and as a teenager you know out in hamilton and in story and <clears throat> story counties you know, it wasn't uncommon during the some of the bad winters we had in the 80s to just be walking a fence row and, and come upon a dead pheasant. Uh, you know, and it looked looked like it was live. It was still kind of, you know, uh, puffed up and hunched up just like it had just landed there. Uh, but many times they, they were covered in a layer of ice. And so whether it's suffocation or just uh, succumbing uh, to the elements, uh, I think they are, they are very vulnerable um, to extended ice, rain, deep snow. They can't get out of that wind. They can't get out of the snow. You know, you're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of winter mortality, and that's where you know, like I said, I've said it kind of my mantra over and over: more is better when it comes to cover, um, even if it's small, right? It it doesn't take 40, 60, 80, 100 acres 
to create some some good habitat that will you know that will benefit uh, where you're living. You know, if every section of ground had five or ten acres of switchgrass, uh, people might be amazed with the number of pheasants we had in this state. But when we're uh, you know when the fence rows are gone now and and uh, all they have left is is road ditches or or uh, or less, um, you know, they just don't uh, they can't get out of the weather. And uh, ultimately, uh, you know, they just can't survive when we have a tough winter. Yeah. And I, I knew that there was, uh, well, several years ago, there was a huge push for farmers to not spray their ditches and just let it grow up so that there would be habitat for birds like quail and pheasant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Any, anything they can get. And, you know, like I said, more is better. Uh, the problem that we run into um, you know, if ditches are only option, great. I, I think every, every hunter in this, in this, uh, state would say, you know, you know, we'll take it. Right. Uh, but the problem yeah, with road ditches is you get into uh, a lot of predation, right? You, you know, anybody who's, who's uh, done, um, much hunting in the state, you've walked out, you know, you've, you've walked out of the house, you've driven down the road and you've seen the tracks along the roads, right? Your coyotes, your foxes, you know, your predators in the winter, they use those, those gravel roads just like we do. And so if the road ditch is the only cover the birds have, you know, they get picked off pretty easy by, uh, by, uh, uh, by the predators that are out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Now I want to pivot just a second or for the, probably the remainder of the podcast and, and talk about the article that you wrote for the Iowa sportsman. And that was how to optimize specific pheasant areas, right? So if you're a landowner or maybe you have a lease and, and you want to optimize the the property for pheasant hunting, there's a specific way uh, to do that. And uh, you kind of put some bullet points down here and, and I'll kind of just go over those. And we'll talk about winter cover. All right. So mm-hmm. whether you're a small, you you got a small property or a really big one, uh, a lot of these principles can uh, be, I guess, translated or tra- uh, can go on both. Right. More is better, like you said. Let's talk a little bit about winter cover and what specifically to plant for winter cover and why. Why again that is so important. Sure. Sure. And so. You know, I would say, and in, in the article I broke this down too. You know, the three three priorities, um, in my opinion, and and uh, this is shared by you know a lot of the pheasants forever bio, uh, biologists in the state is, you know, number one, you've got to have winter cover. Well, what does that mean? Well, uh, the, the the biggest nastiest variety of switchgrass that you can plant, uh, you know, that's going to deliver um, height. You know, some of the, you know, Cave in the Rock and some of these, some of these varieties of switchgrass will get six or eight feet tall, given good, uh, good soil conditions. Um, they grow really tight um, in the winter. Uh, you know, the winds come and the snows come and, and it bends that over. And then it creates lots of, you know, I would say need a waist high cover, really thick, nasty stuff where the birds can actually get in underneath that. They can get uh, out of the elements and get out of the wind and get out of the snow. Um, that really gives them an opportunity to, you know, not get wet and, and not have that wind uh, beating down on them all the time. So if I would say for, for my money, it doesn't matter if you have 80 acres or eight. Um, you got to get some winter cover in there. And so the ratios of that, 
really kind of depends on how many acres you're dealing with. But if it were me and I had less than 10 acres, I would probably plant the whole thing to switch grass. Um, just because, you know, I have seen with my own eyes, what five, six, 10 acres of switch grass can, can deliver. Okay. So then the next thing on this list, uh, after, you know, after the winter cover is the, is the focus, what's, what's the second part of this equation to make the, the pheasant habitat better? Sure. Sure. So if you, if you talk to pheasants forever, if you work with a, a local biologist, it's not enough just to have winter cover, you know, again, in lieu of anything else, if, if, if you've got a tight budget and all you can plant is, is switchgrass and you've got, you know, a, 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 a small amount of acreage, you know, switchgrass is still better than nothing. It's going to be better than brome grass. It's going to be better, better than, than most things. Second to that, if you, if you have uh, a larger number, you know, larger acreage that you can dedicate to, to pheasant production, mixing up your, you know, those, those, you know, thick gnarly patches of winter cover, uh, and having specific areas for nesting habitat, that's really going to help, um, hens, uh, not only, uh, find suitable areas to nest, but also increases, um, survival of the chicks. They're able to get up, move around. Um, they can escape from, from your foxes and, and raccoons and, and skunks and other, um, other predators that are that are feasting on them um, in the spring and right after right after hatching um, the nesting cover it can include switchgrass but a lot of times it's more of a, a prairie mix or or even better is is this pollinator mix that that uh, a lot of guys are planting now it'll have you know a mix of native grasses whether that be switchgrass big blue little blue um, Indian grass uh, but they'll also incorporate um, some broadleaves in there, um, your black-eyed Susans and, and other uh, broadleaves plants to really break up that understory and also to attract insects that are really vital for the hens and the chicks when they're, when they're first emerging and, and uh, you know, trying to build up that energy to get through the summer. Gotcha. So real quick question, what do pheasants actually eat? Well, it kind of varies. Um, in the spring, in early summer, um, your hens and your chicks, and and even the roosters, anything that that survived the winter and, and is heading into summer, they're you know they're like us. They like protein, right? If, what would you rather have a you know a, a, an ear of corn or, or a big steak, right? So right. they are going to be focused on insects, really for the protein and uh, the additional energy that that uh, the bugs and grubs and and uh, and uh, insects can give them you know as uh you get in later into the year especially after you know first killing frost and and those uh those food sources dry up you know then they're gonna they're gonna be focused on the grains right they're gonna be hitting your corn gonna be hitting your beans but um um you know pheasants are, are pretty adaptable and that's why they've been so successful um since their introduction to the country you know uh you get into your foxtails your your uh, giant foxtails and in your weed seeds you know in lieu of corn or beans uh you know they're happy to to feast on a diet of of annual weed seeds around here too and um that just just helps them survive uh you know when 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 that cornfield is is a quarter mile away and and they can feed on something else that's much closer that doesn't expose them to the elements, uh, they have that ability to adapt. 
Awesome. All right. Now I know. Okay. So uh, we talk about the winter cover. We talk about, you know, the, the habitat for the rest, rest of the year. Question about nesting is do the hens seek out different habitat specifically to nest in? Yeah, I think they do. Um, you know, they are going to be looking for areas, like I mentioned before, uh, you know, brushy fence rows, uh, you know, uh, brome grass waterways, you know, these, these pollinator mixes, you know, they're going to find any area where they can, you know, where they feel concealed um, that is dry, obviously, um, and that, that, that is going to give them the best protection from predators. Um, and that's probably, uh, you know, arguably, depending on, on who you talk to, uh, short of, of harsh winters and lack of cover, um, nesting habitat and uh, predation by, by your skunks and your possums and, and your foxes and things, you know, the nest robbers and the chick, the chick eaters, you know, uh, that probably impacts their populations um, um, uh, not quite as bad as a winter, but you know, right up there. Right. Um, and so if you're a trapper, <laughs> uh, every pheasant hunter out there loves a trapper because, uh, you know, keeping as many eggs as we can in the nest, uh, turns into more birds in the fall. Absolutely. All right. And, uh, after that, after those two kind of bullet points, what is the next thing on the list as far as optimizing the ground? Yeah, again, this kind of fall, it kind of depends on how many acres you have and, and what your budget is. Um, but, but in the research I've done on, on a few different articles now for the magazine, whether it be uh, through CRP or, or, or whatever um, available funding you have for your, for your project, you know, third um, in priority after um, uh, winter cover and, and, and nesting cover is, is food, right? Um, but but it, if a guy's on a budget, uh, you know maybe you spend that money on on the cover and, and nesting habitat. It's kind of personal preference. But from the research I've done and the interviews I've I've had with with uh, Pheasants Forever and, and other FSA biologists, you know food is rarely a limiting factor in the state of Iowa for pheasant production, uh, based on our you know intensive agriculture that we have throughout the state, as well as uh, pheasants' ability to you know to to feast on. Uh, uh, annual weed seeds and, and things of that nature. So if you got the money, great. If you don't put it into grass. So if you are putting a food plot though, there's lots of different approaches and it kind of also depends on, uh, you know, are pheasants the only thing you plan to hunt on the ground? Are you a deer hunter or your turkey hunter, etc. But in general, um, you know, for my money, if I was designing a project, um, and I had some acres set aside for food plots, uh, I would probably uh, apply a two-phased approach. I would plot, I would plant uh, a, green, a green mix in the spring, whether that be alfalfa or clover or, or, or something else that is going to flower um, late spring into June when those chicks are first uh, hatching, uh, just because of the insects um, that they attract. Um, and the, you know, the, the additional nutrition those give the birds when, when they really need it, when they're first, uh, getting out and, and getting mobile. And so I would start with a green plot 
that's going to benefit uh, if you are a guy that, that does want to hunt deer or, or hunt turkeys, you know, having, uh, having those clovers, having those alfalfas, things of that nature in a, in a spring plot that improves their nutrition coming out of a, you know, a long winter and, and hard rut for the deer and the turkeys. Uh, they'll actually eat the clover itself or, or alfalfa as well as the bugs uh, as well. So putting in that green plot will benefit your, your chicks. It'll benefit your hens as they're coming out. Um, it also impact, uh, and help your other species too. If, if you're, uh, you know, if you're planning to hunt, uh, the deer or turkeys in the fall, uh, a lot of guys will do corn or beans, uh, row crop. Um, and th- those are options. Um, you know, those are, those are going to, uh, produce and help the birds. Um, but the, the more research I've done, the more landowners that I've talked to, you know, they're going to focus on small grains. Um, number one, they hold birds. If you look at, uh, a thick patch of sorghum or, or millet or milo, that stuff grows really tight, grows really close together. Um, so not only is it acting as a food source, it also acts as, as cover. The birds will hang out in it and hunting it is much easier too. And so you, if you plant row crop, you go with corn, uh, being strategic you have, how, about how you plant that, you know, not putting in big long rows of corn, um, you know, definitely benefits the hunter, uh, keeps the birds from running all the way to the end. Um, and uh, you know provides a better experience and increases your your odds of actually flushing one. Um, beans um, are an option too. Um, that'd probably be uh, the lowest on my list unless I was uh, focusing on deer hunting as well. Deer will 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 knock the heck out of beans if they're green. They will also uh, knock the heck out of them uh, in the winter if you leave some standing beans for them. So depending on, on what a guy's, uh, you know, what all he's using the ground for, um, if it's just for pheasants, I would, I would go with the smaller grains, um, you get more food per acre than you do with the row crop. And you also have uh, built in cover uh, provided by those plants. Um, if I was more of a, uh, multi-use for deer and, and pheasants, you know, maybe I'd go with, with uh, a mix of corn and beans, just kind of up to the, up to the individual. Um, but those small grains are going to outproduce, you know, you're going to get more tonnage per acre um, than you would uh, on kind of the traditional corn and beans. Gotcha. Do, do a lot of guys, I mean, that, you know, maybe plant corn and then mow it down. I mean, not harvest it, but just mow it down. I do know a guy that uh, he will do that. And granted, he's a multiple use guy. So this is the farm he has is, is very good size. And he uses it for not only deer uh, pheasant hunting, but for deer hunting as well. Gotcha. Um, and he will take, you know, four or five acres at a time. Um, and, and, you know, this time of year, he'll hook a, uh, a log chain to the back of his tractor and he'll drive through it with a, uh, with a utility pole dragging behind it, just to knock it down. Um, so it's easier to get for the birds, um, and for the deer, but, uh, more specifically for the birds. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Well, we covered a lot about pheasants today. Um, is there anything else that you want to add either about maybe hunting strategy or habitat or habitat improvement before we, uh, cut her off here? So I'd say, you know, from a habitat perspective, again, more is better. Um, uh, pheasant hunters, we'll, we'll take what we can get. Uh, you know, statistics are there uh, more and more. 
uh, about the, the impacts of, of wintering cover um, in pheasants. You know, we can look at our neighbors to see, you know, why is South Dakota and North Dakota, why do they have so many birds? I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from them as well. And so I would say from a cover perspective, more is better. From a strategy perspective, um, you know, early in the year, if the weather's warm, uh, you know, focus on the more milder cover, uh, hit your waterways, hit your terraces, hit your, your, uh, your grass strips. And, and as the weather starts to turn, it starts getting, uh, you know, we start getting some cold temps and start getting some snow and ice. That's when you, you transition, start hitting your, hitting your switch grass really hard. Um, uh, pressure on the birds in the area you're in as well. You know, they might be in the, the uh, waterways and stuff and the fence rows early in the year. But if you're, near, you're uh, focusing in on the area that gets a lot of pressure, those birds are going to go to the, the deepest, darkest tangles they can find after, after the first couple weeks of the season. Um, you know, another, another really good place that, that uh, is overlooked by a lot of guys just, just because it's so difficult to hunt in the late winter after we you know the ground is frozen and the swamps are frozen getting out in the middle of the section where that wet hole is or where the cattails are um especially after you know a blizzard or after um, just you know extended periods of cold and snow those swamps those uh flues and and uh, cattails you know if a guy's willing to walk them that's where you're going to find your birds cool All right. Well, Joel, man, I really appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast today and uh, good luck this opening, this opening uh, day coming up on the, I think it's the 27th this year and uh, good luck, not only for pheasants, but uh, for anything else you're chasing. Thank you very much, Dan. Thanks for having me today. And there you have it, guys and gals. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Joel for taking time out of his day to hop on and talk about pheasant hunting with us. Man, really appreciate it. Again, if you haven't already, please go to iTunes or wherever you currently download your podcast and subscribe to this podcast. Just search for Sportsman's Nation and Iowa Sportsman. So if you if you search for Iowa Sportsman podcast, you will find it. If you search for Sportsman's Nation, you will find it and subscribe and tell all your friends about it. So there's that. Hopefully everybody has a great weekend. Next week, we're going to have more whitetail talk and because the rut is coming and it's coming fast and we want to be prepared for it. So we're going to talk about the pre-rut. We're going to talk a little bit about the rut and uh, good luck out in the field. Stay safe and we'll see you next week.